What do you call that noise? What do you call that noise? Today we are waking up the track dormant in the Black Valley of the Vinyl and turning over our 45 RPM singles to discover what's on the B-sides of XTC. Hello and welcome back to What Do You Call That Noise, an XTC podcast. My name is Mark Fisher and if I'm counting correctly, this is episode 40, which feels like some kind of milestone, if not a millstone. We'll be picking our favourite XTC B-sides in just a second, but first it's our regular feature in which you, the listeners, entertain us with your XTC-inspired songs. Uh, since the start of the year, we've heard wonderful songs from John Bicknell, Warren Butson, and Christopher Underwood, who last month brought us the fantastic Holly Go Lightly. Holly Go Lightly, as good as she needs to be. This month, it's the turn of Jeff Nicholson, who is here to introduce his splendidly retro drink and dance. What do you call that noise? Hey, Mark. This is Jeff from the U.S., and I wanted to share with you a song that I wrote and recorded way back in 1982 when I was obsessed uh, with XTC, as I am today. Uh, at the time, one of my favorite songs was Helicopter, because it was about a introvert fellow and his extrovert gal. At least that's what I took from the song. And it resonated with me. So I wrote my version, which was called Drink and Dance, about a couple where one person wants to go out on the town and one person wants to stay home and work on his record collection and build his discographies. Here's a section of it. Thank you very much, Jeff Nicholson. Uh, bet that's woken you all up. So if you're a musician and you've written something inspired by XTC in some way, I'd love to hear from you. Your music doesn't have to necessarily sound like XTC, although it could do, but perhaps it has some lyrical, thematic, rhythmic or melodic connection. If you've got something that fits the bill, please get in touch with me at mark at xtclimelight.com. 
This is my monthly shout out to the very wonderful supporters on Patreon whose donations keep the XTC podcast running. It would be great if you would like to join them. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher and decide whether you'd like to be a pink thing, a humble daisy or a knight in shining karma. And if it's the latter, I'll read out your name at the end of each episode. And if you have an appetite for even more XTC, remember you can buy your copy of What Do You Call That Noise? An XTC Discovery Book at xtclimelight.com. What do you call that noise? Okay, so our subject this month is the B-sides of XTC, and with me to discuss them are three human A-sides. Let me introduce them. Um, first, all the way from Australia, we have Mia Rankin. Hello, Mia. Hi, Mark. Lovely to be here. Thank you, and lovely to have you here. Yeah. Those of you who have your copy of What Do You Call That Noise, an XDC Discovery book, will remember Mia as the author of a tremendous series of letters between two young XDC fans. At the time, Mia was just 14, and she corresponded with Kirsten Leyland, an American fan who was 19 at the time. Of course, I have to do another plug. For those of you who haven't got that book, it's available at XDC Limelight. Um, also representing the youth wing of the XTC fan community is Ashley Lacron. Hello, Ashley. Hi, Mark. I met Ashley at the XTC convention in Swindon in 2022, and she was one of the contributors to the young XTC fan takeover edition that came of the podcast that came out in December. And she's a student in Oxford here in the UK. And it wouldn't be an XTC podcast without a couple of old codgers. Oh, my word. So let's welcome Crawford Blair. Hello, Crawford. Hi there. Thanks for having me back. I'm very happy to have you back. And Crawford works as a sound engineer and regular listeners to the podcast will recall him from our episodes on Mama and Middle Eights. Now, the inspiration for doing this month's episode came from Mia, who a few months ago posted a blog on her Dead Letter Offices Substack page, which I'll put a link to in the podcast information, in which she ranked every one of XTC's B-sides. That sounds like quite an undertaking, Mia. Was it? Um, well, I know, actually, it was an excuse for not doing a university essay, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> Yes, I, I can't remember what I was procrastinating. It was some form of assignment. And I I don't know how I got onto the idea of it. Like, I, I love, like, ranking things and tier ranking things. I like watching a lot of tier ranking videos and things like that. And my friends know I like just ranking really silly things as well. And then it got me thinking, yeah, what if I tried to rank every single XTC B-side because they are my favourite band. And I feel like if there's any band whose B-sides I actually listen to uh, continuously and and all the time and treat them almost the same way I would treat album tracks in like the terms in terms of how much I I care about them and how good I think they are then XTC is definitely the band I would choose. Uh, you're making me think now about ranking because I think Crawford and I have a similar attitude to ranking which is the opposite to yours which is I, I try to avoid it as much as I can is that is that true to say of you Crawford that you don't normally rank things? I think I did when I was younger and I, when you're a music nerd which I definitely am and have been since I was very young. There's a kind of need. I think it's especially inherent in men, actually, weirdly, that there's like a need for compartmentalization. It's like a train spotting kind of element to things where you want to like have your favorite bands and your favorite albums and your, all this kind of stuff. And it's, it's really good fun to be able to think of what you want to take to Desert Island with you and all that kind of stuff. But as you get older, the amount of music you have in your life kind of just piles up and piles up and piles up. And just thinking about music becomes slightly more complicated. I have all this music that I love, that I've loved since I was very young. So it's always a constant battle between listening to old stuff and trying to find new stuff. I do like reading other people's lists, but I'm not super inclined to do it my, myself. 
and I really enjoyed reading the the article, you know, that that Nia wrote. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was great. It was really interesting. Yeah, I I also like responding to lists. You have to have a strong criteria, and I think you were right with that as well, Mia. I think you were right to discard like uh, the demo versions and the Homo Safari series and all the rest of it. So, I admire your um, you know, your robustness. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. It was it was very difficult to come up with a criteria because there's just there's so many of them. And there's so many things that you're like, is that actually a B-side or is it just some outtake or is it, you know, some some rare track that was, you know, issued in this like obscure printing of a magazine in 1979 and does it actually count and things like that. But yeah, I had to have that criteria because otherwise I think I would have gone insane trying to pick every single song out there, like every single like uh, loose end and try and tie it up. So it, it was definitely necessary. And I feel like some of the criteria I chose was also just in terms of um in terms of writing like uh like some demos I feel like you could consider a a b-side but because I wanted to rank those separately and I still want to write a post where I rank the demo separately I specifically chose not to in this instance you've come up with 33 and you've chosen not to include the homo safari series in the main list explain why you didn't include those I just decided because they are sort of like little meandering instrumentals and um, I didn't feel like there was much I could say on on all of them so I, I did put them at the end for just like a completionist sake because in my mind I was like they are b-sides they are b-sides I have to talk about them but I don't want to but I'll just put them at the end just so you know nobody comes up to me afterwards and is like well you didn't mention Mantis on parole <laughs> how dare you you know yeah I feel like another thing with this list as well it was very much an exercise on how well can I write about 33 different songs? Because I feel like when you write about music, you start to develop a way of writing about songs and, and the way they sound or, you know, things like that. But when you're writing, when you're writing about 33 songs, it's, it's very hard to not say the same things over and over again or say the same phrases or ideas over and over again. So it was like almost a challenge in that sense as well. Well, yes, as a, as a fellow journalist, I'm, uh, I'm very impressed with that because it is, yeah, th- that um, opportunity to stretch your vocabulary and find new ways of saying things is, is well, the challenge doesn't uh, disappear. Um, Ashley, just to bring you on into this, are, are you a list maker? Yeah, you know, I kind of talked about this a little bit on the last time I was on the podcast. I have a really hard time specifically with XTC ranking things because I feel like they have such a strong discography and everything. I really enjoy everything. So it it really varies and it will kind of just change with the mood that I'm in or what I want to listen to. So I think compiling this list was probably one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do. And I think, you know, I just always switch around and say like, oh no, I really love this one. Or like, oh, I can't decide, you know, this one's really good, but this one's also really good. And um, I've always had like the most difficult time with XTC specifically ranking my favorite album, favorite song. And um, so I think everything, at least for me, is like pretty tentative, changes around all the time. Yeah, I was thinking about how interesting it is that they have such a range with all of their songs and how it really comes down to, I think, personal preference. I know that there are like some bands out there where the fans tend to agree that on things that are objectively better or worse, but I feel like with XTC, there's nothing that is really objectively better than the other. Um, I think I have friends who prefer like, 
you know, Skylarking and Nonsuch, and I love those albums, but I also really like love the white music and Go To and the really punchy, um, energetic songs that I know some of my friends like aren't big fans of. And I think that it, it really just comes down to personal preference and that can be so hard sometimes to compile it in your head and, and make a list and be like definitive about it. <laughs> Well, yeah, and not just personal preference, but your personal preference today. I mean, I, we, the the four of us have come up with lists that we're going to be talking about in a minute, but I kind of uh, have changed my mind in the few days since I drew up my list. I'm like, why did I yeah. choose that? You know, I could have chosen this. And although I do think the nice thing about this one, and 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 thanks for, to Mia for coming up with the idea, the nice thing about choosing B-sides is that the fact of them being B-sides already puts them in a category of, of kind of obscurity. It's not, you're not saying this is your favorite ever song ever released by anybody. What you're saying is this is a really curious discovery and have you heard this? And and it sort of takes some of the pressure off, I think, uh, of that horrible thing of saying, this is my definite best ever song of all time. Yeah, I don't know how, I don't know how people like um, like Tony Fantano and people like that that rank music for a living. Like, I don't know how they do it because yeah. to me, I'm like, it's so hard, especially if you are really passionate about a band or about certain music. It's so hard to be definitive. But yeah, like like you said, I think it's it's really tentative. And I think getting to revisit the B-sides is was really nice. And there are some that I'm so sad didn't make it on the album. I always think that that's kind of a fun game to play. Is like, well, if I could have made the album, like, what would I put on it? What would I not? And yeah, there are some that I just think are really, really strong songs that I would have loved to see make it onto the album. I have a friend who never gives his favorite band, but his like third favorite. So it's sort of, or his favorite <laughs> song, whatever. If you give you a third, it sort of gives you quite a lot of leeway there. It's like going to number seven rather than going all the way to number top. I think that's the trick is to not, not be definitive about it, is to leave it fluid, you know, and just not, not get too hung up on on it being like some kind of uh, having a, a, so much finality behind it to say okay well this is where I'm at right now and I always think that in my head there's like I have a bunch of HTC songs that are my absolute favorites and then after that you know there's like it all crowds but I wanted to ask everyone people talk about certain bands that are bands that are b-side bands they write really good b-sides they've released really good b-sides over the years and it has it's it's great for the fans because it's like this extra catchment of music that is is there and i'm thinking of like you know traditionally people would talk about bands like the smiths radiohead blur i mean and maybe to a certain extent bands like oasis maybe early on and stuff who are you know gave good value for like they didn't just put a live track or some you know little kind of strange instrumental or something so i know acc have done quite a wide breadth of different kind of b-sides from very experimental sounding to songs that could or you know just didn't make it on an album that could have made it on an album quite easily so do you think xtc are a, a good b-sides band in that classic way that you know smiths and elvis costello and you know all those kind of people are yeah i i definitely think they are i mean i guess um rag and bone buffet is sort of their louder than bombs in a way um even though it probably or definitely hasn't got nearly as much recognition as as louder than bombs but no, I, I definitely think they do. And, and something I quite like about their B-sides, which is uh, definitely something they do with their studio tracks, is, is that one B-side sounds completely different from another. Like, you know, Pulsing Pulsing sounds completely different to 
you know, extrovert or something. They, there is something in there for everyone. And, and it's one of the reasons I love XTC so much is because it's, it's very hard to define what genre they are. Like you can, you could have some sort of umbrella term, but when people ask me, oh yeah, what, what sort of music is XTC? Because I inevitably tell them that's my favorite band. And I go, ah, well, they're this, but they're also this. But if you listen to this specific song, it actually sounds like that. And it's, it's very hard to, to nail down. And I think there's a quote, I can't remember by who, that I, I used in my, at the start of my article. Um, and he was basically saying that XTC have put out like some B-sides that, that some bands would dream of putting out as just regular tracks because they're so good. And, and I think that in itself basically sums up my sentiment as to whether or not XTC are a good B-side band because those B-sides are of such incredible quality with, you know, such enormous diverse range. So, yeah, I, I would definitely say so. Yeah, I definitely. I, I agree with you on that. If anyone asks you that question again, just say arty chamber pop. <laughs> That's what I say when anyone asks me about it. What do they sound like? It's arty chamber pop. But you can say that about most bands. <laughs> There's so many different genres. Yeah, it doesn't really mean anything. Arty chamber pop, it's funny, you know. It's like... Yeah, it's so funny to hear all of the different, like, weird sub-genres that um, mm. people come up with. But yeah, I think I agree with Mia in that it's it's hard to kind of put them into a box. But I think that they are, all of their B-sides are really strong. And it, it was interesting to me to go back and kind of see what B-side correlated with what album, because they're so different sounding and sometimes the b-side would be so completely different from the a-side it almost sounded like it was meant for a different album or it, it really had a vibe of of you know the previous or the upcoming like as a precursor to the next album because i think with a lot of bands all the songs kind of sound the same per album but xtc really has this wide variety of styles that is really nice to hear yeah and one of the disadvantages in this context of coming up with the top five is that I'm kind of thinking, yeah, well, okay, I wouldn't put um, Over Rusty Water as an obvious example in a top five, but I'm sort of glad it exists, this sort of thing that you suddenly discover in some corner of, of some, you know, bit of vinyl somewhere, or 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 maybe a better example, The Somnambulist or Ella Guru, whatever. I'm really glad they did it. It doesn't, I don't have to have it as my favorite, but it's it's good that those things exist. This is where I start ranting again, Mark, about the crazy programmatical things that Virgin did with the CDs back in 1987 when they first put the, the CDs out. And I don't know if, if it, I don't know if you know this, um, me and Ashley, but I've got them right here. This is my CD of Mama. It's really old and, and scrappy, but right in the middle of the um, CD, right after Deliver Us from the Elements, somebody saw fit to shoe in all the B-sides. So if you imagine, and there's six B-sides on Mama, and they're right in the middle of the album. So it goes from Deliver Us from the Elements into Frost Circus. Uh, and then you have all six B-sides. And then the second side of the album starts again. So when I was listening to that record for the first time, it was extended by these six B-sides, not at the end of the CD, but right in the middle of the CD. And they did it with the Big Express. And they did it the Black Sea as well, where they just put the B-sides in. So in my head, there's, you know, right in the middle of Black Sea, Smokeless Zone and Don't Lose Your Temper and the Sonambulist pop up. Yeah. So that has definitely affected my kind of, you know, perception of, of those B-sides. Spotify does that as well. So Mummer, Big Express, all of those are extended versions. So all of those songs are 
like you said, they're like right in the middle. So that is kind of the way that I got to know the albums as well. Oh, so it's the same on Spotify? Yeah. I think they're put at the end, like the B-sides are put after um, Funk Pop or Roll, like on Mama and things like that. Yeah. But they don't specify that they are B-sides. And so you yeah. go, oh, okay, so they put this song on the album, mm. they put this song on the album. But I can imagine that, right. you know, if, if I was like, you know, a member of XTC and I saw that's what Virgin had done to my record and they just plonked the B-sides in the middle of the album. Yeah. Especially when you know, sequencing was extremely important. I was like, this ruins the flow. Like, that sounds extremely annoying. I think it's because it was the early days of CD still and people were still thinking in terms of side one and side two. And some absolute crazy stoned freak at Virgin Records must have sat down at a boardroom somewhere and gone, do you know what? I think we should just put them in the middle and not interrupt the, you know, the two sides of the album. It's just like... Why did they do that? I, I still, I'll go to my grave not understanding. In fact, I should track down, I should make a 20, 20 episode podcast series about tracking down the person who did it and then uh, and then killing them, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it does make more sense to put them at the end, actually, now yeah. that you say that. I think they are at the end. But um, Completely bizarre. Yeah, the middle seems very like it. It just kind of disrupts the whole album. So I think I would be pretty upset yeah. about that, too. But it's funny the way things are packaged for you because I know, I know there are people. It sounds like Crawford, you're not one of them, but the, who 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 get so used to those songs the way they heard them in the middle of the record that they that is the record to them and they really like them and whatever and and they can't extract it again. It's a little bit like that. I still hear. Yeah, it's less so now because I don't listen to the CDs directly, but I. Yeah, I I still hear. Think I, I still expect to hear certain songs following on. Mm -hmm. And the the opposite of that is, I suppose me listening to the b-sides as they were being released contemporaneously is yeah. that in my head i thought oh this is a b-side therefore it must be in some way inferior <laughs> and when you found yourself really liking it you thought, oh, it's almost like oh, am i allowed to like this and it's you know because you don't know what processes ended up you know they they were so prolific they were just writing too many songs to, to fit on or it didn't fit in with the mood or somebody took objection to it or whatever and so there are many other songs that we'll be talking about today and i'm sure we'll make the point that this could have gone on the album and in fact crawford you said to me that maybe we should have a, a round of questions about the songs that sh should have ended up on an album and, and and or the songs that shouldn't have ended up on an album and whether some of these yeah. should have replaced others. And then we can get in a fist fight about English Settlement later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it should be a triple album, actually. I think, though, Mark, you, you had like an extra level of remove, though, at the time if you were buying the, the singles because you actually had the physical effort of getting up out of your chair, crossing the room and flipping over the... That's right. The single and listed the B side, so it does it frames the B side. We, you know, I just bought Rag and Bone Buffet or Beeswax, you know, and suddenly I had it all to hand. But you, you saw them all coming. I didn't start buying XTC CD singles contemporaneously until maybe like Oranges and Lemons or none such. So I didn't really have that thing, and I didn't, I didn't buy vinyl either. So I never, I was still too young to buy their singles. Yeah, maybe I should make that point again because the that act of going to the shop buying a single. I suppose I would buy everything by XTC, but you would if you if I bought a record by another band, it would be because of the A side. You wouldn't know what the B side was, and so the B side was this curious thing on the other side. Oh, they also do this, and it would maybe make you more intrigued by the band. And with XTC in particular, the B sides opened up so many other possibilities. This this was the sort of band that might do an instrumental. This was the sort of band that might just do this sort of experimental thing in addition to the canonical stuff that you might have come across 
on an album. And that made them even more intriguing as a band because there was all this this other stuff there and and suggesting other directions and giving you a hint of a broader life. And then in addition to that, in the way that they were presented and packaged, again, because they were so prolific, you would get these double gatefold sleeve singles where you would get three, four, five songs that came with them on a, a second uh, what was it? Is it Towers of London? I'm thinking what I'm trying to remember which ones did that. Where you there were some get double packs, double inches, packs, yeah. yeah. Um, Fanboys wages, and, and it was all part of the. You, you were very well treated, weren't you? Because everything looked beautiful. It was beautifully packaged and presented, and those early singles and designed. And there was just this proliferation of music, whether it was a live track or or or, or whatever it might be. So I'm fascinated to know your perception of what a B-side even means. Like I said about Spotify um, and the extended versions of the albums being on there, um, I got to know the albums through listening to the B-sides being in the album and being the extended version. But I love to collect vinyls, so uh, I have, I think, every single studio album of XTC now. And I love to get the like the older releases. I most of mine uh, are the re-released Ape House ones, but I have some that are the the singles and the seven inch ones. Um, so I think when you get a physical copy of it, and like you said, you have to get up and you have to flip it over, and it kind of does give this new perception to B sides that you don't normally get from the way that music is is streamed now you kind of see those pairings of songs that you wouldn't normally think about when you're just streaming music. And I think it is kind of a shame that 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 does get lost because there is a certain kind of novelty to it. Yeah, and and like you said, with with Rag and Bone, I'm really glad that that exists because I think that it it does shed light to a lot of these B-sides. I do feel like I have sort of explained b-sides to a lot of people who are my <laughs> age or a similar age so they're like oh what what is a b-side I'm, like, I'm so glad you asked because well back in the day and then I sort of sound like my dad for a bit where I explained how you know people would stick b-sides on the other side of you know seven inch 12 inch singles or whatever so yeah in in my mind if 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 there was like a textbook definition of a b-side in my mind it is just what they put on the other side of a single I also absolutely agree with Ashley in terms of like vinyl collecting. I also collect as many XTC records as I can get my grubby little hands on, uh, especially the the singles, because I also think I own almost every XTC like LP. Like whenever I go into a record shop, I instantly like make a beeline for the X section or like, you know, the XYZ section. Me too. That's what it usually is. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then it's instant disappointment. Yes, yeah. the instant disappointment. Exactly. Yeah. We only have X amount Deutschland or, yeah. yeah. But I think earlier, also at the end of last year, I, I went into one of my local record shops and they had just an entire stack of XTC 12 inches and it was like Christmas day. So it's like, oh my god. It's so funny when you, the excitement you get when you find an, an XTC vinyl in a shop. I found one digging, I found GoTo digging through a pile in a local record shop of just like miscellaneous. And I remember I was so excited when I found it. And the record store, the guy at the record store was like, oh, I'm really shocked you knew this band. And I was like, oh yeah, they're like my favorite band. He's like, well, oh, yeah, I get that. Did, well. did you know that this is their first album? And I didn't want to correct him. And I was like, <laughs> I, so I just bit my tongue. But yeah, it's always such a novelty to find them, I think. Yeah, because I, I, I found a copy of um, No Thugs in, uh, in Our House at 
uh, record fair. And obviously it's got that really gorgeous sleeve design. And I remember showing it to my friends who don't collect vinyl, know anything about vinyl afterwards. I was like, look at it, look at the, you know, how it's designed, look how it folds out. And, and, and they're like, wow, that's very cool. I've never seen anything like that before. Um, but yeah, in terms of uh, going back to uh, like B-sides and what B-sides mean to me, I think, for me, it's always been like this really fun musical adventure because when I really like a band, um, I get to know their entire discography as it is on Spotify most of the time. And I get to know, you know, the album tracks and things like that. And uh, if I really love them, I really want to know more and I really want to try and find more and things like that. And trying to find every B-side or every outtake or demo is like this fun little adventure because I know that, you know, you would have got the b-sides as they were released whereas for me it's more like a case of tracking them down and trying to find them and I remember specifically like with Skylarking trying to find all the different like b-sides and demos and with each one like I would find the troubles and then I'd find extroverts like these are great these are awesome and I've never heard them before and so it's just a really fun discovery for me I guess not just with XTC but any band whose whose b-sides are worth listening to. Can I quiz you a little bit more Mia on your criteria for your list because it's just popped into my head that you didn't include Dear God on this, although it started off as a B-side, ended up on Skylarking. How did you sort of work out that sort of thing? I know that they eventually put Dear God on Skylarking afterwards and it initially wasn't on the album, but in my mind I view Dear God as a track on Skylarking and even though that's a technicality, I feel like most people know Dear God anyway. It's one of their most well-known songs. Um, anyway and you know it's been used in films and things like that and it's often one of the tracks that when I introduce XTC to people it's the one that they really like and I think with this list I was really trying to shed some more light on the overlooked tracks and the more elusive tracks and I think that Dear God would have just sort of stuck out like a sore thumb because it is so well known in comparison to everything else. Maybe that's the two factions of being an XTC fan you're either a mermaid smile person or a dear god person and we don't talk to each other i really like mia's definition because it seems to me that that's what we're talking about we're talking about those sort of less familiar corners and it's almost like the b-side is a as, is a concept rather than a the literal fact of it being on a b-side is less important than the idea of a discovery on in some corner of the the catalog if you look at ragamore buffet from end to end musically it's completely batshit i mean it's it's you know, because it's all from all different periods and all different, you know, from beautiful brassy kind of like pop music that could have been on, you know, one of their albums to short ambient pieces, you know. Yeah. So it's incredibly varied, you know. It shows the breadth of what they were what they were doing, mm-hmm. you know. And, and not just in the terms of B-sides, but just doing anyway, you know, with Andy with his dub experiments and all the rest of yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I, I played my dad um, Countdown to Christmas Party Time once because my dad is an XTC fan, but he's not like a... At I want to say at my level, he's not he's not a super fan, but he likes them a lot. And I played him uh, Countdown to Christmas Party Time. I said, Dad, I want you to guess what band this is, and he <laughs> could not tell it was XTC, having listened to XTC throughout its different you know periods and, and things like that. And he was just shocked. And he just I think the face he made was just one of like shock and like mild disgust when he was like, Really? How did they do that? Like, why did they do that? And I just think it's so funny that they can, yeah, XTC. XTC just can always surprise you, I feel like. And I, I know what I heard for the first time. I was like, I, I you know, I, immediately I was filled with like visions of, you know, teenagers dancing on top of the pops to this song or something. It was so 
un-XTC like. <laughs> yeah, because that, that use of drums and so on, it was the Lynn drum, wasn't it? And and I'm, I'm just scrolling through your list. That was that scores quite highly on your list. Number 15 it comes at. So um, it, it impresses you not just for the fact of it being a discovery, but uh, one of the better ones. I think objectively, maybe it's not, it shouldn't be that high. But I think when, it, when I take into account personal preference, I, I love extremely dated sounding songs from the 80s. I love, like, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is um, Feels Like Heaven by Fiction Factory. Like, I love things that just sound, you know, incredibly dated with just, you, like, all these synths and, 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 you know, like the Lindrum and things like that. Like, I just, I find it very appealing. Whereas, you know, to somebody like my dad, he just, my dad is a self-professed production snob, I should add, but he he does... Yeah, he just he can't bear to listen to the that sort of stuff. I always like thought that that song should be played in like um like a department store or something at Christmas time. Like I always I always thought <laughs> oh, that yeah. I could <laughs> hear it shopping at like Kmart or something. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. people thanks for Christmas definitely gets played because I've seen people posting about it about hearing it in yeah it does shops. Yeah. yeah, does it really? Yeah. I I have never heard an XGC. Well, I guess I've heard generals and majors a few times but it's so rare to hear them in public i think yeah it's yeah. rare enough that means like when it when it happens people post on facebook it's like yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. if you were a fan of pretty much any other band that would never happen i heard a song on the radio but it's so it's so special when it happens yeah i i think i was in a in a bar once and i and i heard making plans for nigel they were playing making plans for nigel in the bar and i basically like stopped everyone like guys they're playing xdc you don't understand how big of a deal in this in this you know sydney bar you know like run by like 20 somethings they're playing xdc you have to shut up and listen to this for like the next three minutes because it's such an occasion it really is yeah yeah should we go on to the number five to the number two for each of us going through and then we'll save the, our number ones to the end of the show. We could start with Mia because your list is already in the public domain. Could, would you like to talk us through your five, four, three, two? Yeah, it's it's sort of like what um, Ashley was saying before, where it's like I look at this list, and now I'm like, did I, did I like you know, should I put that there or like you know, why did should should I like move this one here? Or actually, you know what? Today I feel like that should be number seven and not number five, and you know because like it's it's so temperamental. But with that disclaimer. My, my number five is Don't Lose Your Temper, the B-side to Generals and Majors. I just think it is a, an incredibly solid song, I think. Black Sea was like the peak of, of you know, XTC as a live band, as a, as a touring band. And I feel like this encapsulates that. Like this track could have translated extremely well live as well. And I just think it's it's impossible not to to you know bop your head along and and dance to it in a way I guess yeah I, I just think it would have been great to hear to hear live and it was it was very hard to pick which Black Sea B-side or Black Sea era B-side was my favorite but I definitely think this one just pips it. I agree with you I, I, I thought that listening to Black Sea on Spotify in, in that format it, I, I always thought of it as a Black Sea track and and Don't Lose Your Temper is definitely one of my favorites when I think of the album I I, I think it's just it, it always gets stuck in my head and I always end up just kind of singing it the rest of the day yeah I just I think it's a really great track yeah I think it's extremely singable it's one of those typically clever Andy Partridge do you, would you call it a pun I don't know but the idea of but normally you would say I, I lost my temper is a bad thing. But here he's saying, yeah, you don't lose your temper. It's a really good thing to have a, a, a temper. I don't know if you've heard, but there's a really good cover of it that was on the Garden of Earthly Delights 
a compilation that, in fact, with the, the very first podcast in this series, we started off talking about that. And it's by Derek Anderson. And it's it sounds like a sort of, it turns it into sort of like a, a soul or stacks type of song driven by horns and, um, you know, a very direct four to the floor drum beat behind it. And it, and it just sort of gives it a, a punch that backs up exactly what Mia's saying, that if this had been done as a live song, you can really imagine it taking off. Yeah, I, I haven't heard that that cover, but what I was going to say as well was I think that it is it is just very um, singable. I feel like there's, there's times where, like, you know, if I'm, like, by myself, I'm just going, little girl, little girl, like, I'm just, you know, <laughs> getting into the, <laughs> into the groove. I think uh, one of the things both my, my dad and I like doing is um, trying to nail... Andy's sort of Wiltshire burr um, and, and that song is a is a good a good time as any to do it uh, but yeah that, that's my fifth track number four is uh, Happy Families which has been like uh, technically a single and it was on the She's Having a Baby soundtrack but it's also the b-side to King for a Day I actually heard this song quite late into my XTC fandom I guess and and again it's sort of like what I was saying earlier about how discovering b-sides is a sort of journey when I heard Happy Families for the first time I was immediately annoyed I hadn't heard it earlier because I just thought this is fantastic like this more people need to hear this and more XTC fans need to hear this because what I really like about it and I think what is really its star element of the song is is those lyrics I think they're just ex- extremely clever and and Andy Partridge is my favorite songwriter of all time, and and one of the reasons is because he's so clever with his words and the way he's he's making jokes about you know like all these plays on words like you know the master race or miscarriage and yeah I just find it extremely entertaining to to listen to and 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 just go you know as somebody who who writes a lot as well like how how did he do that how did he think of that you know and I think as well not just with this song but with a lot of the more politically charged XTC songs I find that he often writes lyrics in a way that's less I guess I'm standing on my soapbox and here's what's happening and rather go and here is um, another way of of phrasing the same issue but without you know losing that really creative uh, approach that he has to songwriting. Yeah that idea of him taking a metaphor which many songwriters would just use in a single line or whatever, he'll just extend it across the whole song, which yes. is really impressive. And I'm, I made the same note as, as you did about miscarriage, but, you know, it, it'll like that's, I suppose, a, a, a concept within a concept, a joke within a joke or something. But And musically, that line, it just keeps on going. Just It's a long, long line to keep that melody going, isn't it? And it's really awkward. It's in the way he shoehorns in Happy Families. You know, it's 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 rendered in a. In fact, it's even more. Have you heard the version that he produced for a Japanese artist called Saeko Suzuki? Yes, I have. Yeah, which came out first, I think. Did it? All right. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that version before I heard XTC's version. Listen to a, a, a Japanese lady singing it is is kind of interesting because it's you know the phrasing's all different you know with the, obviously English being you know a second language and, and it's um it's even more interesting to to hear how this because it's not an easy song to sing by any stretch it's a really interesting curious I I always wonder why they picked that particular song to to cover you know why she particular you know why she chose it but maybe Andy had it lying around it hadn't been released so yeah I wonder if it could be that he actually wrote it for her and then decided to yeah re, you know repurpose it for them, themselves when it came to the 
movie soundtrack. Yeah, I I feel like there is there's quite a few um, XTC songs where it's you have to take the biggest breath of your life and then you start singing like you know No Thugs in Our House or or Burning with Optimism's Flames. I think there's some yeah it's it's very tricky to do right. I think um, you've got another metaphor for your number three. Yes, <laughs> I do. Uh, as you can tell, I like I like the the metaphorical lyrics a lot because number three is. Punch and Judy, which was a B-side to, to Ball and Chain. And it's actually one of the B-sides you can actually hear on Spotify. It's on, on Coat of Many Cupboards. It's a, it's a different, because I know there's uh, different versions of it. And um, it was, I think the one on Spotify is the unused single version. I'm, I'm not entirely yeah, sure. Yeah, I like it a lot better, yeah. that, the unused version. I, I think it's a much better sounding it's actually quite beautifully recorded, the, the re-recorded one. I was going to say, because I, when I went back, I had only heard that version of it. And so when I went back and uh, listened to the English Settlement version, it kind of made me appreciate the single version more, because I think that they really, they took it and they expanded on it. And it, it's really a beautiful track, like you said. I know we were talking about, you know, songs that could fit um, onto albums. I'm not sure, I'm not saying necessarily that I'd, want Punch and Judy to be on on English Settlement rather than another song. Like, I'd have to give that more thought before I did because it's really difficult. But I could definitely see Punch and Judy slotting in onto English Settlement in both in terms of its sound and and just, again, the sort of commentary on society because I feel like English Settlement has a lot of those um, songs. I, I, made a, I made a zine on English Settlement, I think, last year. And I had I was you know going through all the the lyrics of all the different songs and I was going wow they they've really had a lot to say about Thatcher's Britain and um, a lot of broader social issues I think and I think Punch and Judy um, is just another one of those and and again it's it's done really well you know using Punch and Judy as a as a metaphor I think is really clever. Number two is just one of my favorite I mean I was almost say just one of my favorite XTC songs in general I mean they all are but I think Extrovert. In, in particular is is definitely without question something that I would consider to have you know as much fondness for as as a as an album track and then that's extrovert which is the the b-side to grass and I remember I remember getting um a, a you know when I when I did find that massive stack of XTC 12 inches and I saw that it had grass I was like yes now I have extrovert on vinyl I just love how big and bold and 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 punchy it is and how just it's I think my favorite part about it is how fun it is to sing just that chorus um just messing around with with you know melody and and stuff and it sort of melodically captures what it's like to feel drunk I think like like the sense of feeling really like you know I could do anything I'm on top of the world I don't care I'm I'm awesome and (laughs) and I think the really just upbeat and really boisterous melody just really reflects that and I just I have so much fun whenever that song comes on, and and I and I also find it quite entertaining that Andy did sing it while he was drunk, as well. Yeah, I feel like you can hear it in some of the way the, the way he renders some of the lines. Yeah, there's some slurring. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but I think there's a few songs that we're talking about today that have that characteristic quality of, in this case, being about being extrovert, but also sounding extrovert. It's the the two things are married together. They're not a it's not a quiet song about being extrovert. It's a big, noisy song about being extrovert. Crawford, I was going to suggest that we could go to you now and your five, four, three, two, but not one. My number five is Didn't Hurt a Bit. It's not a song I actually... I, I came to quite late. I, I don't know why I didn't listen to it or I haven't listened to it more, but 
I think a few years ago it just clicked. I think maybe the the sentiment behind the lyrics is is a little bit questionable. <laughs> Perhaps I know there's been talk of in books and so on about Colin, and he does like to write about infidelity. <laughs> um, and I'm wondering, uh, you know, there there is this interesting conceit, you know, it's like well. It's sort of like this childish thing of when a child falls over and then it doesn't want to appear to be hurt and wants to be brave and stuff like that. And then it's tied in with the idea of having some, I guessing, some kind of extramarital thing or, or, or having a contretemps with, with, with somebody and then pretending that they're not hurt by it. I'm not really sure which way to read it. I, I sort of read it as being someone who's who's having an affair, someone, someone who's married and having an affair, but that obviously, you know, you could read it anyway. But musically, I think it is absolutely gorgeous. And it reminds me of setting other songs. I, I feel like Colin, he should have made two solo records in his time. In my, in my fantasy timeline, my little happy unicorn land XTC timeline, in 1980, he made a really weird album that sounded like I Need Protection. And then in about maybe 1987, he made another album that sounded like Didn't Hurt A Bit and One Of The Millions and, you know, Find A Fox, you know, a beautiful kind of like folk rock record. And um and yeah, and that's that's I love didn't hurt a bit. I think it's 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 just gorgeous. It's kind of nostalgic and there's there's a, there's a sort of easy nostalgia about a lot of Collins songs that kind of crept in, I think, in the in the sort of early to mid eighties and it's one of those ones. Now that you've mentioned this fantasy Colin now, but now that now that you've spoken it into existence, I, I now really want it as well, because I especially that uh, that late eighties. It's great. I'd play it to you if I could, but I can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> that late eighties album. I absolutely agree. It's a really beautiful song, uh, especially musically. Maybe lyrically, yes, a bit questionable. Um, but I remember when I was compiling my list, I for some reason, and I and I can't remember why it didn't meet my criteria for a B side. But I remember out of all the songs that you know I found that didn't count, that was the one I was absolutely gutted by. I was like, I can't write about this one. I because up until I checked to see if it met the criteria, I was like, I'm so looking forward to writing about this one because it's going to rank so high on my list. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. It's it's a really wonderful song. I suppose it's doing that kind of 10cc, I'm not in love thing of saying, I'm not in love, but really I am in love. And this is saying it didn't hurt a bit, but it did hurt a bit. You know, you're, you're hearing the opposite. You protest too much. And it's got a lovely sort of skiffly beat to it, hasn't it? Yeah, he just had a real knack for writing supported acoustic-based kind of tunes that were very melodic and very very beautiful. I think Find the Fox is probably the most folky he's ever kind of gone, which really sounds like a traditional, could in places be a traditional English folk tune. And there's there's people who make music now that kind of sound a little, there's a, there's a wonderful artist called Craig Fortnum who has a couple of bands, um, Nossi Radio Orchestra and his solo stuff. And his stuff is, if you like Find the Fox, his stuff is very redolent of, of, of that kind of style. So the next one, I think three of us piled in. Blame the weather. Yeah, yeah. It's unassailably brilliant. Blame the weather, isn't it? There's nothing to fault. It's it's just one of those. It's the imperial phase, the English settlement. You know, plus plus B sides. A, a real surfeit of ingenuity and brilliant songwriting, really. My memory of it is listening to it at the time and thinking, this is a B side. Am I allowed to like it? Should it be somehow inferior? No, this is really good. But also. If you think about the the point it was released, it was I think it was an English settlement era, nineteen eighty two sort of track. The the presence of the piano in particular, and and that there's a sort of music hall, middle eight that that it gets very Beatley, very and XTC and the Beatles were often put in the same 
category or the Beatles were mentioned in terms of XTC, but it was only at that point that I thought, hold on, I can actually hear a Beatlesy influence here. And obviously it manifested itself much more later on. But it was almost like I was thinking, you know, having gone through the new wavy guitar and drums, drums and wires type of sounds here, I was thinking, are you allowed to do that? Are you allowed to have such, is, is this, is this sort of a post-punk band allowed to have such lush piano and <laughs> orchestration. It was almost like they were breaking some unwritten rule. I think rule. they were selling yeah. out. Well, but in <laughs> such a good way, yeah, selling out, but in in a, in a good way. Of, and, uh, it, 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 you know, you can't imagine that track popping up on drums, to take Drums and Wires as an example, you can't imagine it, fit, it wouldn't have fitted in on Drums and Wires. But suddenly it was like, oh, we can have this texture, we can have this colour that we're allowed to use. That's really interesting. And I'm quite jealous of your um, experience mm. because you got to you got to see them change, you know, and, 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 and morph from one thing to the other. And I my experience of XTC is just going back through from, I think I started listening to them in about 86, 87, something like that. So it was really going backwards and not, not I mean, and, of course, if you go backwards, you're not going to put on white music and listen to that for a year <laughs> and then put on go to and listen to that for six months and then put on drums and wires. You listen to it all of Higgledy Piggledy. So I don't have that that lovely experience of, of a new single and a new album coming out and hearing where, they're, where they've got to now and, and that lovely unfolding of their and change in their sound. And I think Blame the Weathers definitely, just by virtue of having that quite sort of jaunty piano, um, is them starting to little note, you know, little inklings are then starting to stretch out. Their sound really changes once they stopped touring because they didn't, you know, have to worry about playing these songs live. And I think that it really shaped them because I think that they were able to try all of these experimental compositions and, and things that they wouldn't necessarily do if they were touring all the time. That's a really interesting point, actually, because this is a Colin song and they, technically, at this point, they were still a live band. They hadn't quite stopped. So, but this—you're uh, exactly right. This is not a song that you would expect them to play live, or it would be quite complicated for them to. They wouldn't have been able to play it live without dragging like uh, a Yamaha CP piano yeah, on stage yeah. and stuff like that with them. So, I think they were still sticking to the, you know, the key. The, I don't know what keyboards they had on stage when they were touring English Settlement, but I'm, I imagine they didn't have a very complicated setup. No, so you wouldn't have. Ex so interesting to hear that Colin was moving off in these interesting directions, even though it was Andy who didn't want to tour. Yeah, you can really hear that with his songs, especially, I think, English Settlement era onward, where they start to get very melodic and, yeah, they start sounding less like live songs and, and more like, you know, these really beautiful compositions. Pulsing Pulsing is my next choice. That's my number three. I love Pulsing Pulsing because it's a well it's it's almost not even really nearly a song. It's kinda like a vignette really, but it this it was made at the same time as uh Drums and Wires and it has there's a particular sound in some of the songs in Drums and Wires that I love and it's a sort of cold, slightly far away that distance in in the in the tunes that I'm thinking of songs like Millions and Day and Day Out. Especially the millions, you know how millions has that little reprise where it comes back and it sounds like it's like forty foot away. Everyone's like suddenly down the hall when they're playing. I really love that. And pulsing pulsing is has got that entirely that sort of similar sound. And it's yeah, it's it's not it's a bit a bit strange and and, and a little bit experimental. But there's something beguiling about it as as a little a little kind of yeah a little vignette of a song, a little mood piece of a song. And I love the intentionally awkward 
way that he sings. He definitely stopped doing that at some point, and I, I sort of I love I love pulsing pulsing for that reason. It's 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 a, like a it's like a square wheel. It's one of those square wheel songs that sort of boinks along. And it has this lovely little groove as well, you know, with everyone's doing their funny little kind of awkward angular thing, you know, with rhythms, you know, it's got a very simple drum pattern and the funny little, it's got one of classic Colin Moulding, Bjorn Borg bass line, you know, that just boings around and yeah, it's fantastic. That song to me really reminds me of this Oingo Boingo song called Insects. It just kind of has that same punchiness to it. And I was honestly kind of surprised that it was a drums and wires b-side I, I it feels very go-to to me go-to yeah i think there's you could definitely draw a line between the go-to drums and wires era htc and bands like i mean i don't know much on go boingo but i you know bands like early like split ends and devo um cardiacs you know there's, there's that angular kind of thing that they they did for a while but you know, then moved on, you know, pretty soon they were they were on to, to new pastures and it feels like a transitional song in the sense that if if you look at the lyrics, there's hardly any of them. I was quite surprised. I just looked back no. and said, like, <laughs> what else was he gonna say? But but if you look at the yeah. words in particular, it's Andy being uh creative and ambitious and, and you know quite poetic and so it was like a premonition of stuff that he's about to expand into. I think there's an onomatopoeic kind of element. Yeah. yeah, I feel like he maybe maybe the song came, the music came first and he thought, Yeah, what does this sound like? Does this like a heart beating or things pul you know, that actually things pulsing. So I know, you know, and he's keyed off that and just written a song about just blood coursing through a body, mm -hmm. I guess, mm -hmm. you know, and, and metaphorically. Um, in terms of cover versions, we were talking earlier about cover versions. There's a gentleman, I can't remember his name, but he's quite easy to find, I think, on YouTube. Um, he's incredibly talented, and he does these amazing cover versions of HTC songs in German. Uh, Eric Selheim, his name is. He's incredible. And um, Pulsing Pulsing is just even more jerky and new wave and, and bizarre in, in German. It's absolutely fantastic. So, I'll yeah. have to re-listen to that. Yeah, yeah. I've also made a note that it became Shoreleave Ornithology, another 1950, on Take Away the Lure of Salvage, and it and you can yeah is one. The great thing about that album is that you can then hear how these songs are deconstructed, but 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 also you can hear the elements of of it as well, um, all mixed in there, and you think oh that is a really good uh, you know the the guitar parts are yeah. really interesting. Um, okay, so uh, what's my number two? Um, the world is full of angry young men. Uh, is my number two. Did anyone else choose that? This one was an honourable mention for me. I had that in my back drive. <laughs> <laughs> Your number six. Yeah, number six. Yeah, it's 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 number fourteen on my on my list. So it's on the higher end for me. It's like um, an early dalliance with jazz, I suppose, and it was written during Mummer and never completed, and then I. You can. They completed it sometime later. I don't know if they. Let me check. Did they complete it around about oranges and lemons? Maybe around about oranges and lemons. And you can hear that in the. I think the backing vocals sound quite oranges and lemonsy. I do like when they get a little bit jazzy, and they do it in a way that is not like jazz. You know, like jazz, and um, it's sort of more like that sort of sixties film soundtrack jazz with like like a girl with a kind of twiggy haircut running around London and they're like hanging <laughs> off of like lampposts and stuff and dancing around Trafalgar Square. It's more that kind of swinging London kind of jazz. And it's, in, you know, it's got that sort of 6-8 sort of, sort of, you know, swinging feel. Colin's vocals are incredible. The guitar is gorgeous. 
it's just one of those songs that I... Yeah, I agree. I, I, my only criticism, I was listening to it the other day, critically, I was thinking that maybe the drumming's a little bit timid, that Pete Phipps' drumming's just... It could have been a little bit... I think maybe it could have been a little bit more... You know, like... um. You know, like the drumming on the man who sailed around his soul. You know, with you know, with Prairie Prince, and it's very open and kind of loose and, and lovely. It would have been great to hear. You know, whereas Pete's is quite, and I don't know if that's because of the circumstances in which they recorded it in a rush, or it was maybe a demo or something like that. But they started it during Mummer, and apparently they they didn't have time to complete it. So I don't know what at what stage they got to before they picked it back up to put it as a b-side or even why they picked it up to put it as a b-side you know so so much later it's interesting to me because it's such a good precursor to one of the millions in cynical days and so that's why i think that it's it's very interesting that it, it was conceived in the mummer era and like you said i mean i think colin is an amazing vocalist and i think that this song really showcases that that brings us nicely, I think, to Ashley's choice. I debated a lot with this list, and I, I really, last night was kind of where I got definitive, and I had to come up with something. Um, but yeah, a lot of these songs, people, we've already talked about them. Extrovert was my number five. It almost seems like it's funk-influenced. I really love the horn accompaniment. I think that that was something that Todd Rundgren added later, if I'm correct. I always love songs with horn accompaniments in them. It's something that could have been on Big Express or even Oranges and Lemons, I think. It's just a really strong song and, and I love the uh, the story behind it of Andy singing it drunk. I think it, it adds to it for sure. At number four, I put She's So Square. This was another one that White Music has a very extended version on Spotify and I personally really love white music. I think that it's so much fun to listen to. I used to drive around and play this at like full blast in, in my car. And I think She's So Square is such a staple song for that. To me, it really embodies the album. It's just super punchy. And it's one of those songs that you just can sing and have fun and play really loud. And yeah, I feel like you could see it on top of the pops or something like that. It, it feels very... It's, it's like a take on the 60s, and I love things like that. And also, I, I love the guitar solo in it. It's one of my favorites of their early stuff. So that song definitely stood out to me. Yeah, guitar solo is great. It's a great song. I was very glad to see that you were including this one, partly because it's one of the earlier tracks, and it's easy to overlook those early B-sides. And and actually talking, as we were just then, about uh, about catching up with music that's already released... I got into XTC in 1979, so it took a year or two before I heard it. And it was, it did feel like a discovery because I think there's something about the 3D EP that I, I don't know whether Barry is less prominent, but it feels to me sort of cleaner and, and, and fresher than a lot of the stuff that comes on white music and go to. And this is an example of that. It's quite st stripped back relative to some of the more... I mean, I love Barry Andrews, <laughs> uh, but but it, but it's less kind of over the top and and, and mad and, and you know syncopated than those things. And so that sort of pop sensibility really comes through on the three D EP that takes a couple of albums to catch up with again. I think so. Yeah. I guess maybe it was written before he joined, or maybe been around for a maybe, while. Maybe, maybe, yeah. It's yeah. it's definitely I think out of all like the really early I guess Barry Andrews era XTC tracks, it's definitely the highest ranked on my list. I think it's like number twelve. Like it's really far up for um, like the early XTC stuff. And I think that is a testament to how strong of a song it is. I think just melodically and as you say, like that 
guitar solo is incredible. The next one, we might have a dispute here because Mia might not approve of Ashley's next choice, but do you want to share it with us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was, you know, there's this gray area, I think, of what is considered a B-side. And I know that we were kind of talking about that. Um, but I really felt like I wanted to put this song on there because I really enjoy it. It's Too Many Cooks in the Kitchen, which was Colin's solo single released under the kernel. Even though it's not technically XTC, I think it is kind of a extension of XTC. It's just a really fun and catchy song and another one of those that is really easy to sing and, and dance to. You know, the lyrics aren't super complex, but I think, I think that there is a simplicity in it that is uh, very charming to me. I love the backstory of the song. I know it was kind of written at it as a joke and, and kind of to poke fun at the the songs that were on the the top of the pops and um, to kind of see if, if, if it could get in there. And, and I think the fact that Colin's dentist was playing guitar on it is very fun. Yeah, it's just a great one. Actually, I have that single on seven inch vinyl and I play it all the time. It's it's just a really fun song to me. That really awkward line of cooking the books and getting their fractions <laughs> wrong. Wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's so awkward. <laughs> My interpretation of that song, Colin denies, or I'm sure I asked him this question, and and but it just seemed to me too much of a coincidence that a song called Too Many Cooks in the Kitchen was a, a solo single written by somebody who was one of the cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Very passive-aggressive. And, and, uh, he says it wasn't about that, but it does seem to me, uh, yeah, that was my interpretation, that, 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 that there were too many cooks in the XDC kitchen. But it's a great, lively, upbeat single. I, I, I wonder why it wasn't released as a... It could easily have been an XDC tune as well, couldn't it? Yeah, I, I think it I think it definitely could have. He sings it like he's not really taking it terribly seriously either. In places, he's almost putting on a, a voice. He's always putting on a slightly comedic yeah, kind of voice. yeah. That to me like adds to, I think, just the charm of the song. I think that the mm. fact that it isn't too serious of a song and sometimes, you know, you can't take yourself too seriously. And I think that that's probably why I enjoy it so much. I don't know. Uh, again, as I was saying before, I, you know, I approve of the idea of Too Many Cooks being part of this discussion because although it wasn't a B-side and um, in, in Mia's list, she um, only included I Need Protection. But it's part of, if you like, like the Marvel universe, the XDC universe is part of <laughs> this canon. sort of thing. Oh, isn't it curious that this band could release something like Take Away the Law of Salvage and they could release a, or somebody connected to them could release this this weird solo single or fun yeah, solo I, single. Like, I, I don't think I'm I'm going to, you know, crucify you for putting this <laughs> on the list, even though it's not like technically <laughs> a, a beast. Because like, I feel like the difference between this discussion and my list is that in my list, I was trying to be very strict so that I wouldn't go insane trying to write about every other song. And, and also because I had the express purpose of wanting to write about those those songs that got away and all like the little loose ends. Where So I wanted to have a very strict criteria, but I think that it is, yeah, as, as you say, it is like a very a fun song. And I think it's also similar to why um, Dukes of Stratosphere is so appealing. It's because they've got these, you know, they've put on these personas and they've created a little backstory from the, themselves. And it's just, it's all very clearly quite lighthearted. And I think, um, you know, regardless of uh, its status as a, as a, you know, as a non-B-side track, I think, yeah, it's, it's, still a, it's still a fun song to listen to. At number two, I put Desert Island. This, this one, I, I always say it could be one of my favorite songs that they've done. 
I, I think it comes across as, as kind of a silly song, but is more of meant to be a commentary about England in the early 80s and, you know, all the soulless buildings and concrete wastelands that were, were kind of popping up at the time. And I think that a lot of that message still rings true. I think, um, you know, things being bulldozed and turned into malls and, and things like that, you know, kind of makes you feel like you're on this deserted island in a way. It's a really beautiful song in its own right. I love Andy's vocals. I think that they're really showcased and has really great bass track and the backing vocals on it, I think, add to it as well. I think it sounds like it's Colin and not Andy, but I'm not also, I could be wrong. It's a really great addition to Mummer and, and it might be personal preference, but it's really one of my favorites. Yeah, and I was looking at the Chalk Hills website uh, as part of compiling all of these B-sides. And when I looked at Desert Island, I was really surprised that Andy wasn't as fond of it as, as I thought he might have been. Because I, I also really like that song as well. And I think what you mentioned about how it's also in a way a, could be read as a, like a commentary on, on, on you know, Britain and, and these um, buildings being torn down. It, yeah, I, it sort of reminded me of um, the, the, the tour that Andy Partridge did of Swindon when he was like walking around and being like, and, and they've torn this thing down and we've got all these ugly looking buildings and, and look at this mall. And I, yeah, I guess I, I didn't really think about it too hard because I was more invested in the silly little accordion and, and all of the lighthearted singing, I guess. I think that every time you listen to it, something just kind of stands out. Like, um, like yeah, the first time I listened to it, I think uh, the accordion and everything really jumped out to me. And then the more you listen to it, you just kind of discover these new elements about it too. Yeah, I think that goes with every XTC song. I feel like every time I hear their songs, especially if I'm listening to them with headphones on, I think, I go, oh, I didn't even hear that part before. I didn't even think about that part. Or, you know, maybe I'll have listened to a song for the millionth time and only just realised that a certain line was a play on some word or, or some idea. Yeah, I nearly went for Desert Island, but I was choosing between other mama B-sides. I suppose what I love about it is that the, the, the musicality of it and that sort of calypso feel. And, and again, that sense of, oh, you were allowed to do this. They were just going into a different direction that they wouldn't normally uh, go into. Uh, there's possibly something a little bit kind of strident about the put Great Britain on its nameplate. I mean, XCC are normally a little bit more subtle than that. And so maybe that was the thing that made me think, mm. maybe I won't put him in my top five, but it very, very nearly was. It feels like a B, like a very traditional B-side, like a song that's just not quite, it's 80% of, you know, the other tracks that they were recording at the time. It's not a favourite of mine by a long shot. Is that actually. right? It's one of my right. least favourites. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> well, agree, agree to disagree on that one, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> All the other Mama B-sides are great, but there's Island as well. I think that that's what I mean in that so much of it comes down to personal preference because, you know, a song, like, I, I to me, it's one of my favourites that they've done, mm. and, and, and to you, you don't even really like it, and so I think that that there's so much, like, breadth with the band of, of how they do different styles so well and, and how some things might be really appealing to some people and, and not to others, and I think it's really interesting to kind of see that. yeah. Should I run through my 5432, which might not take too long uh, before we come to our number ones? Partly just so that I could discuss it. Limelight is number five. And you might think that for obvious reasons, because Limelight was the name of the fanzine I set up. And I think sometimes people have assumed that Limelight must have been my favourite song. And that was the reason for calling a an XCC fanzine. It wasn't because it was the fa favourite song. It was for two reasons. One is that 
the, the song itself is about fame and or being seen and being the center of the spotlight. So it seemed to be the idea that we were putting the the, the spotlight, we're putting the limelight on XTC themselves. And it was also uh, very much in keeping with what Mia's B-side concept is, is the idea that this was a collector's item. And Drums and Wires was the first XTC album I got. And I got it for Christmas in 1979. And I knew that there was one record shop near where I lived, a sort of it's strange that there was a record shop even where it was. It was quite suburban. And so I told my dad for Christmas, you've got to get it from that particular shop because I'd seen it in the shop still with the free single with Chain of Command and Limelight <laughs> on it. And you know, it was at a point in the year where, you know, the, the initial runs were starting to sell out. So you it, you had to make sure that, that you would get your free single with Limelight and Chain of Command. And again, I just used that idea of the, the XTC universe. It was the idea that you could buy an LP and then there would be also this other stuff that you could discover. And, you know, and, and then it was as good as well. You know, Limelight is, and, and in terms of the music mm. of it, it's got that brilliant combination of a pop sensibility with sort of, uh, you know, quite fun backing vocals. It's a, a very... Uh, sort of poppy, accessible Colin Moulding tune, and it's got that sort of new wave edginess and just musically interesting. You know, there's an opening chord that sounds like it could be from Hard Day's Night, but a bit kind of weirdy. <laughs> and the band just sounds so <laughs> tight. And even like if you then play all the uh, naturally, you play all the way to the end, and then the outro is different from the beginning. And so there's you know so many musical ideas mm. that they were filling. And this was a song that was basically given away for free as, a, as an incentive for, to buy the album. So, and then naturally Limelight. Uh, it's still the name of my website and and so it has been around for quite a long time for me. So that was the reason for putting it in there and just wanting to say that. I would definitely have it in my top 10. Yeah, it's, it's a great tune. And I love, I love the structure of it rhythmically, the way it's sort of extended and there's lots of gaps. You have that skanking guitar and then you just have the bass line just playing very simply, ding, ding, ding you know and it's 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 a slightly it's very typical of xtc at that point but it is still a slightly a slightly unusual structure but it's lot and it's lovely and open as well because it leaves lots of room for for the vocal yeah i think to me it's it's really a staple of like that kind of new wave post-punk era if you want to call it that i always think of it as like a classic song of that time when I first got into XTC, I was kind of having a hard time telling which songs were Colin and which songs were Andy. And I think this was one of the ones where it was a little bit harder to tell because I think he was, Colin was starting to find his own as, as a songwriter. I know in the early albums, he was really trying to emulate Andy. And I think that this was one of the ones where that sounded very Andy to me. Now that I'm so familiar with the discography, it's very easy for me to tell, you know, what what is Colin and what is Andy and what is not. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really love that song. I, I was thinking about it as one of my honorable mentions as well. <laughs> my next two I might do together. Number four, I've got Jump, and number three, I've got Gold. And I'm thinking they're sort of in the same category as a, a, like extrovert, very upbeat, very positive, very dynamic and positive feeling. And as I said, I could have gone for Desert Island from those mama tracks but jump has got those lovely harmonies that sort of shuffling jazz rhythm and a pretty acoustic guitar pattern and it's catchy and it's upbeat and lots of sort of big positive energy from it and the same with gold written at the same time as great fire apparently because virgin wanted some more hits for that album if i was choosing between great fire and gold to go on a b side i would have put gold on the b side but it's got that same 
a, a bit like we were saying about don't lose your temper. It's got that same upbeat, stack C kind of horn-driven, snappy guitars. Yeah. It's always reminding me a little bit of Teardrop Explodes because of the horns. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Actually, I've, all this time, I've never properly concentrated on the lyrics and never heard properly the final line of gold, which is, you'll see your old brick town go gold. Oh, is that what you um, said? Which ah, is a lovely phrase. Yeah, you'll see your old brick town go gold. Yeah, gold. <laughs> I think jump, the lyrics of Jump are, are, are lovely as well. The sentiment of just, I don't know if he's giving advice to, if he's talking to everyone or he's talking to himself, but, you know, he's mm, trying I to... I suspect it might be to himself. Yeah. I like I like songs where he's giving himself advice or he's dishing out advice, you know. There's a, mm -hmm. that, that's a good mm -hmm. songwriting conceit, I think, that not, not many people do. And my number two is Blame the Weather, which we've talked about already. So I think, drum roll, this could be our time mm -hmm. to have our number ones, which means that we have to come back to Mia. So my, my number one is, dun, dun, dun. Uh, it is Heaven is Paved with Broken Glass. Woo. It is one of my favourite XTC songs just ever, flat out. Because it's so weird. It just sounds so odd. And I, and I don't think, because I, I think we've talked a lot about, you know, B-sides that could fit. Onto, onto albums because they match that sound or whatever. But I don't think Heaven is Paved with Broken Glass would fit on English Settlement. And, and I like it all the more for that. I like that it sounds really weird. I like that it starts with these, you know, reverse, like backwards guitars. And, um, and just, I feel like it's extremely experimental. Yeah, when I was going through these, you know, exploring these B-sides, the ones I never heard of, I had a phase where I was just specifically looking at English settlement and I was and I and I liked them all a lot. And then I but I think Heaven is paved with broken glass just left them all in the dust because it sounded so different. And and again it's just a testament to how XTC can create something so different to just the last song that they put out or the one they recorded five minutes ago because it yeah it's just really something else. And yeah, I love it. And I think you talk about in your blog the the weirdness of that there's a sort of echoey noise that's that that's do 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 that just makes it that's slightly out of um, it's not quite the notes you expect it to be. So it it put, puts everything sets everything at edge on edge. Yeah. Uh, which just makes it disturbing. It's actually I suppose I should reveal as well. It's also my hey. number one as well. So I'm in line very much with Mia uh, <laughs> there. And I love the line. Um, You've made a fool of me. It's like. This 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 person is is has had such effect an effect on the singer that it's not just it's not just the the heartbreak that the person got but it's like it's turned the whole nature the laws of nature upside down yeah. it's a tremendous a very simple phrase I wonder if yeah. that's why because of the, the the lyrics you know about turning everything you know upside down and all, all good things are bad and, and like and vice versa that they they took the intro and flipped it. So it's reversed. So the first couple of bars you hear the intro is, is going backwards. Yeah, I, I feel like. And then it flips into the. Uh, XDC yeah. do that a lot musically, where they try and make the music match what's happening in the lyrics. Oh, totally. Um, and, yeah, and I think completely. that is yeah, just like a perfect example of it. I think that Andy, when he talks about his synesthesia, it, that kind of comes into play where, where he imagines a scenario and then the music really centers around that. It kind of does a really great job of world building and creating a scene in your head um, that really matches what the lyrics are saying. 
Yeah, it feels like it's it's kind of his natural. Like when you listen to some of those explanations of how he came about with certain songs, where he's talking about senses working overtime, and he'll play certain chords, and he'll and then he'll think about what how they make him feel, what they make him think of. It doesn't feel like it's something that is it's a songwriting exercise that he's sitting down with pen and paper and guitar, piano. It feels like it's just what that's how songs come out of him. You know, in some in some cases. Yeah, I feel like everything feels a bit off in that song, but in a really good way. Like everything feels slightly uncomfortable yeah. and slightly like disjointed. Um, almost like, yeah, as as he says in the lyrics that, you know, he's mucking about with physics and making a fool of physics and, and it's like everything is sort of bent out of shape a little bit. And you can actually not only feel it but visualize it as well when you're listening to the song, how everything must feel for the narrator, that everything is a little bit off and, and yeah, out of shape. A hell of trees and grass. Yeah. Lovely. <laughs> so that's the correct answer, Mia. Well done. <laughs> Thank you very um, much. <laughs> Should we go to Crawford? Yeah. The, uh, Red Brick Dream is my number one. And it's very simple, as we know. It's, it's just acoustic guitar and vocals and a lot of effects. But when I started buying XTC records, just prior to Oranges and, and Lemons, I remember I would travel up to Glasgow at the time to, to buy records I was probably, so I was probably, I don't know, 15, something like that. And I already had like a bit, I got a copy on vinyl of, of the, the singles compilation and a couple of other bits in a CD of Mummer that my friend had given me. When I used to go to Glasgow for record shopping, I didn't have very much money. I was still at school. So I remember Virgin Records in Glasgow on Union Street or Renfield Street were doing um like a three for 21 pound CD deal. Uh, it was so all the Virgin back catalogs. They could buy Japan records or you know whatever, um, and XTC. So the, a lot of their back catalog. I think I I went up twice within the space of a couple of months and picked up like six CDs, and I was very pleased with myself. And the Big Express is one of those CDs. And of course, again going back to this crazy idea that they they had put um, Red Brick Dream. Let me have a look. Yeah, it comes right after This World Over in in the CD sequencing and. As well as just being really a nice experience to listen to, like a, a bunch of XTC music in short order, um, Red Brick Dream, something about the vocal really caught my ear, the way he sang certain words where he bends the notes down. I don't know. And, and then just acoustic guitar and the sentiment behind the lyrics, everything just came through very clearly, like a real clarion call. It's like one of my favourite XTC songs, period, and it's always remained so, even though it's a very simple... It's, a, it's kind of a ditty, really, and and yeah, and probably deservedly a B-side, although in my mind it's still, for better or worse, it's still part of the continuum of listening to that CD of the Big Express. Um, I just think it's it's a a, a beautiful love letter to his uh, to his hometown, it's, and and you know, which is a whole section of their back catalogue is about that, is about the you know that kind of town living, and it fits in there very very nicely. I think. I was thinking about a few of these songs that what we're listening to. Uh, if you strip away all the arrangements and the and the band and whatever, are two classic songwriters in that kind of Tin Pan Alley mode. They're they're, they're writing really well constructed songs and and a Red Brick Dream because it doesn't have any, it has very few bells and whistles if you like it, and it, you just get a sort of access. It feels like a sort of direct access to Andy and what he's thinking about and and the town that he comes from. And mm. it's, um, it 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 would have been interesting to hear a sort of fuller version of it, a fuller. But but there's something really pure and beautiful, and I agree, B-sidey about Red Brick Dream. But it feels like a real 
proper discovery in the sense that we're talking about. Well, it's in the context of the CD. It's like a palate cleansing moment, you know, so it is mm -hmm. actually quite nice that it's in there. And in the CD of Big Express, there's only three B-sides that have been shoehorned into the middle of the, the running order. So there's, I think, Blue Overall and whatever the third one, Rain of Blows, perhaps. I can't remember. But so it's not too much of it. And, then, and those songs are pretty good and quite congruent with the rest of the record as well. So it's not it's not too jarring. It's not like listening Mummer and suddenly hearing like Procession Towards Learning Land, <laughs> you know, pop up in the middle, which is just totally bizarre <laughs> um, and a bit frightening. And um so yeah, it's it's kind of part of the it's part of the album in in my brain, uh, just by osmosis, really. I think it's really interesting how, on one hand, yeah, it is very clearly like B side, but on the other hand, it still feels like a really, almost like fully realized song. Like it's so incredibly atmospheric, and it it does feel like, whenever I listen to it, it feels like I'm walking, you know, through like a steam filled platform or something. And obviously that goes along with all the train imagery of the Big Express and things like that. But I just have this really distinct memory of listening to it on the bus one day and it was just pouring with rain and it was really grey outside. And it just, I think I just now forever associate that song with that time I was on the bus and it was pouring with rain because the like the sounds and, and the, the images and, and, and yeah, the, the, the atmosphere of the song just sort of meshed with that rainy day. And I, and I think it's really incredible that it can do something like that. Yeah, those chords sort of drag, don't you? There's something sort of backward motion as well as forward motion. I can't describe it better than that. Yeah, there's a strange reverse delay effect on mm -hmm. on, on our gated sort of reverse delay. It's very 80s sounding. And then, and then the lovely, and on, on his voice and on the guitar as well, which makes it very washy. And yeah, there's that strange treatment at the end where his voice kind of loops back on us. And, and, and it's sort of like, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's really well done. I guess maybe, I wonder if maybe they felt that it just, maybe didn't stand up quite as well if he sat down with acoustic guitar and vocals and, and sang it, that he felt it was a little bit too busky or something like that, and they wanted to add to it, uh, you know, somehow and make it... Maybe there was another synesthetic, you know, sort of event, and, and Andy, he wanted something that reminded him of steam or, you know, mm -hmm. you know anything, yeah. The final two number ones we've covered already, so probably not very much to be said about it, but um, I've, I've already admitted that my number one is Heaven is Paved with Broken Glass, which leaves Ashley. Yeah, I, I put mine as um, Blame the Weather. I, I think, you know, I think it's just such a powerhouse song and, and Colin is probably my favorite songwriter of all time. And so I think that this song is a really excellent example of, of his songwriting and, and his knack of, you know, creating these really melodic and simple but captivating songs that kind of build into these killer choruses and um, Again, too, like, you know, incorporating the bass into the songs. I always love songs that really stand out when the bass is, is used as a tool to kind of define the song. And and that that's done well here. And, and all of the, you know, the piano and the backing vocals and everything that really folds into it um, comes together really nicely. And I mean, it's to me, it's a shame that this didn't, you know, end up on English Settlement. I, I don't think it was finished in time, but um, I think that if I'm correct, the the only version available is is a demo. So it, it, I think that it if it could be developed further and, and it could have been, you know, just just a really really strong XTC song that I think gets overlooked. Uh, and I'm just looking at all four lists at the moment and could happily choose any one of your lists <laughs> for my list. In fact, I'm kind of thinking, oh no, that's a better list than my list, and um, uh, it it shows what a wealth of material that we've 
had to be talking about this morning. We're going to have to wrap it up, but I've been thrilled and, and entertained by this whole discussion. So thank you very much, in particular to Mia for having the idea in the first place. Thank you. And of course, to Crawford and Ashley for joining us. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me again. It was always a great time. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. You're very welcome. What do you call that noise? Thanks again to Mia, Ashley and Crawford for a fascinating discussion. And thank you once again to all the wonderful podcast supporters on Patreon who you can join yourself at patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher. Thanks in particular to the following Nights in Shining Karma. Terry Arnott, John Bicknell, Kevin Burt, Lorenzo Chachi, Cale Corbett, Liam Duggan, Jamie Dunn, Jeff Farris, Leslie Gooch, Robert Graham, Stephen Hope, Alan Hughes, Marek Krauss, Jesper Kumberg, Robert Lawlor, Dennis LeCourier, Liz Lynch, Murray Meikle, Yusuf Murrah, Karen Neal, Jeff Nicholson, Amy Parkinson, Mark Reed, James Reimer, Simon Slato, Michael Sutcliffe, Mark Thomas, Nigel Waller, and Martin Whitley. Great to know that you've liked what you've heard. I'll be back again next month. See you then.